Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Welcome back to Health Talks Now, a podcast brought to you by Baptist Health. We talk with clinical experts and leaders in the healthcare industry about the things that matter to you and your family most. We ask those questions that you want to ask, but maybe don't want to ask. And after a long, difficult year, we're back in the recording studio. That's right. And we are kicking things off with a really important episode today. Adding to the list of things disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, many elective medical procedures, including cancer screenings, were primarily put on hold to prioritize urgent need, focusing on reducing the risk of spreading COVID-19 in healthcare settings. Additionally, patients were dissuaded from pursuing screenings with a fear of contracting the disease. So we're joined on the phone for an important conversation today to discuss and further understand possible repercussions. Dr. Amitoj Gill, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So as the number of patients being screened for cancer declined, health experts also saw a steep drop in cancer diagnosis in the U.S. between the start of the pandemic in March 2020 to June 2020 when those elective procedures started to reopen. We understand that studies are now being conducted on how the decrease in cancer screenings during that time period may affect healthcare in the future. It's kind of a wait and see. So Dr. Gill, knowing this, what can patients do now? So that's a very important question. Yes, there's been a decline in cancer screenings. And what we've seen in clinical practice is, is more patients coming in with advanced cancer diagnoses, sure. which are harder to manage. So what patients can do now is some of the important things would be to get vaccinated. That's most important. You know, there's great evidence that that vaccination helps prevent COVID-19 infection and especially helps prevent serious infection and hospitalizations and deaths. Mm -hmm. So that's that's very important. Secondly, I think patients need to talk to their primary care physicians if they haven't already done so. They should seek medical attention for any symptoms that they might be having. They should get back to getting age-appropriate cancer screenings. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So whether it was due to the pandemic or simply succumbing to life's busyness, that you delay putting off medical care, what are the repercussions of delaying these cancer screenings? Along those lines, let me ask you a second question. In your experience, what are the reasons that people put off screenings? So let me answer the first question first. So as I mentioned before, we're seeing more patients with advanced cancers being diagnosed now, which mm-hmm. which is harder to treat. Whereas patients, if diagnosed with cancer earlier, you know, the chances of cure are better as compared to the patients who are diagnosed at a later stage of cancer. So the repercussions are there. And hence, it's very important to get age-appropriate cancer screening, as I had mm-hmm. talked to you before. 
As far as your second question, as into why patients have delayed their cancer screenings, first of all, the more recently, it's because of the pandemic, we've seen a shift in patients not getting medical attention, which they should. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because they are scared of catching the infection and that prevents them from seeking medical attention so even before that i think there is also a factor of uh, denial and fear Mm -hmm. of diagnosis Mm -hmm. so some patients do tend to be scared of what if i am diagnosed with this disease so i think it should be a positive rather than a negative factor because we need to reassure the patients that it is actually a good thing to be diagnosed at a earlier stage and to be able to cure the disease and to be able to treat it better rather than wait and let it spread and cause a lot more problems if it gets to a later stage. Yeah, it's kind of flipping that old adage of ignorance is bliss and flipping that on its head to the the adage, uh, knowledge is power. Sure. You know, so it's not necessarily doing them any favors to put off knowing what's going on in their body, although it may prevent or delay rather their anxiety or their fear. It's also probably driving up their anxiety by not knowing so that they're not empowered to take steps to do anything about it. Well, there was an episode that you did with Dr. Eli Pendleton. Yeah. It was a two-parter about men's health, and that is a education opportunity. I remember specifically when you were talking to him that men typically aren't going to the doctor as common right. or as frequently as women. Right. And it's it's they're missing those conversations, those important questions about signs and symptoms. Yeah, that's right. So this one is important. And I think those of you listening, you'll want to turn your volume up for it. We've talked a little bit about the importance of getting those screenings as a way to get in and diagnose the problem in an early stage for easier treatment. But what is the difference in prognosis if a cancer is diagnosed, say, at stage one or very early on versus it being diagnosed in a later stage? Right. So as I said, you know, there's a greater chance of cure for cancers that are diagnosed at stage one, two, or even three. As the cancer spreads and goes into the lymph nodes and goes into the other organs, it becomes stage four. And at stage four, it's very unlikely to be able to cure, as in get rid of the cancer completely with any form of treatment. There are, however, some cases where that is possible, Mm -hmm. but it's unlikely. So diagnosing cancer at an earlier stage is important in terms of treating it better. Right. In general, how quick does this happen? Because you hear these horror stories of someone seeing a spot that they know that they should have gotten checked out. And like you mentioned, it was the denial, the fear. But how quickly, or or is there not an answer for it? It just is dependent on the person, the cancer. How fast are you advancing from stage one, two, two, three, and four? That's a hard question to answer because it's very variable. It depends on the type of cancer. Yeah. You know, there are slow growing cancers like prostate cancer, for example. Got it. And then there are faster, more aggressive cancers like leukemias and okay. GBM. Got it. So so it's 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 very variable. And in some cases it might take months and in some cases wow. years to to advance to that point. 
Okay. And the staging then just in, in layman's terms, I'm sure it's very technical, but this is dependent on how widespread it is throughout the body or, or is that something else? Yes. Yes. So it it depends on whether we're talking about solid cancers, which is cancers of the lung, prostate, breast versus hematological or uh, leukemias because the, the way they're staged, it all depends upon what the prognosis is at what stage. So for example, for solid tumors, the spread is from the organ of origin to the lymph nodes to other organs. In most cases, if it's limited to the organ of origin, for example, for lung, if the cancer is still just in the lung, Mm -hmm. it's either stage one or two. If it spreads to the lymph nodes, in most cases, it becomes stage three. Okay. And then if it spreads to other organs by a bloodstream, Mm-hmm. For example, lung cancer spreading to the brain, that becomes stage four. Now, this is very technical. There's sure. a lot of variations within the different stages based on the TNM classification, as we call it. And and it gets updated pretty mm-hmm. much every other year. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Gill, I missed it. Can you tell me again the path? So if you are... If the origin is in the lung and it goes to a lymph node, what is the path? Is it going to another organ or is it going to your bloodstream typically? So the lymph, so the way the cancer, the way the cancer spreads is two different methods. There's local invasion, which is the cancer grows and spreads locally and can invade the adjacent organs. Second is actually there's three different ways. Second is lymphatic spread. So mm-hmm. the lymphatic system just drains throughout different organs and the way the drainage system is in place the lymphatic drainage from one organ is into the local lymph nodes that are surrounding that organ so for example for lungs those local lymph nodes would be in the middle of the chest the mediastinal lymph nodes the hilar lymph nodes and from then from these lymph nodes the lymphatic drainage goes on into the venous system or the venous circulation of the body and gets dumped into the blood. So the way the spread is, you know, the cancer cells, when they metastasize, they go in to this lymphatic system and then can show up in these and collect in these lymph nodes. Okay. So that's the second method. The third method of spread is through bloodstream. So there's always an arterial supply of blood Uh to that organ and then a venous supply, which takes blood from that organ to the heart. So the cancer, when it grows, it metastasizes into this bloodstream. And then that can take these cancer cells around your body and deposit them on into a different organ. I really appreciate you breaking this down for us. Yeah, it's helpful. I have a dumb question to ask. I, of course, there's bone, blood, an organ. Is it possible that your heart can get cancer? Like as the blood travels through it, you hear about all these other organs that you're mentioning, including all throughout your colon and intestines and liver. Can your heart get cancer? Right. So it's extremely rare to have cancer in the heart. It's such a dynamic organ. It's the cancer usually does not metastasize to the heart. The heart can have a cancer of its own. There are some sarcomas that can develop in the heart wall. There's some benign tumors that can develop in the heart. But it's very uncommon, very unlikely for a cancer to metastasize to the heart. 
Okay. So in general, if someone's following the recommended screening guidelines, is it usually sufficient to catch any issues at this stage, at an early stage? What do we need to know? So it's usually sufficient in terms of what we can do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's when we do cancer screening and and the way the the US Preventive Services Task Force, the USPSTF has their guidelines is based on studies that have been done. So there are clear recommendations where they've seen that earlier detection saves lives. And that becomes a part of that guideline. Now, you could say, well, why don't everyone, why doesn't everyone just get a CAT scan or a PET scan every year and just catch the cancer and treat it? Well, that would not save lives. That would actually cause more harm than it will cause more good that expose you to more radiation, radiation yeah. you know, finding certain things that you don't need to be treated for and then getting more invasive testing and, and causing more harm than good. Okay. So these guidelines are based on what we can do, which would be minimally invasive mm-hmm. in order to be able to catch a cancer early and treat it and cure it and be able to save lives. So as far as what different methods we have for screening, this is sufficient in terms of what we can do. Now, in the future, you know, this is a very dynamic field, so that there can, there'll be probably new things, there'll be new studies about what's upcoming, about certain markers that, that can be checked. As of now, there's nothing concrete, and this is all we have. to be able to detect cancer early. But we should also note that while we're talking about the screening guidelines, we've put out content and talked about bariatric. You know, there's other behavioral changes and things that you can be doing, you know, limiting your alcohol intake, maintaining a weight, exercising, not smoking, things like that, obviously, that can reduce your risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's very important smoking is by far the biggest risk factor for not only just cancer, but heart disease and lung disease. So these are, there's, there are genetic factors to cancer and and there are modifiable risk factors that are in our hands and we can change and we can live a healthier lifestyle, you know, reduce our weight, do more exercise, have a balanced diet. And that's why it's important to go back to your primary care physician, get everything in order and take care of your body. We'll be right back. Accessing health information that's important to you just got simpler with the introduction of Baptist Health's My Health app. Available for your phone or tablet, the My Health app incorporates MyChart, Baptist Health's patient portal, with the ability to find a provider check in to an urgent care, see a provider online, or find out about your health risks. Visit baptisthealth.com slash app to learn more or download the app from the Google Play or app stores. We're back with Dr. Gill. Can you walk us through briefly maybe some of the most common screenings? What do they entail? Generally speaking, for a healthy individual, how often they're occurring? And obviously, it goes without saying, if you have a family or personal history or existing medical concerns or symptoms, you should certainly work with your doctor to create a personal plan. But 
big picture speaking, what should most people expect? Sure. So what I'll go over are the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force guidelines that mm-hmm. we mostly follow. Now, different societies have their guidelines, but, but there's a general consensus to follow the USPSTF, as we call it guidelines. So the breast cancer, I'll start with the breast cancer. So the breast cancer screening is recommended in women aged 50 to 74 with screening mammogram every other year. So now again, this can be variable. You know, there's a lot of patients who have family history. And I think the discussion should start at age 40 with the primary care physician. And if it is if the history is found to be significant enough, then the screening should be done at an earlier age. But mm. the USPSTF recommendation is from 50 to 74 and to have a discussion with the physician starting at age 40. And as I said, the, the screening mammography is every other year, but it can be yearly in patients who have some abnormal findings okay. that need sooner follow-up than two years So. That's for breast cancer. Cervical cancer is another one. So the USPSTF recommends screening for cervical cancer every three years with cervical cytology, which is a pap smear alone in women aged 21 to 29. For women aged 30 to 65, the recommendation is screening every three years with the pap smear alone or every five years with the pap smear plus the high-risk HPV DNA test. So if that combination is used, then it can be moved every five years rather than every three years. And then for colorectal cancer, so they recently updated this. So the recommendation previously used to be for cancer screening from age 50 to 75. Mm -hmm. However, what we've seen recently is more colon cancer incidents in younger adults. So based on that, the USPSTF has updated it that the cancer screening for colon cancer be started at age 45. But still, the evidence is more for starting at age 50. So that's more of a grade A recommendation. But again, family history is important. Other factors are important. So so that discussion should be started around age 45. Okay. With the with your primary care physician, so that that's for colon cancer and for lung cancer. Again, this is also something that's been updated more recently. So, the USPSTF recommends that patients who have smoked or have a twenty pack year smoking history, and by that twenty pack year means one pack per day for 20 years. So patients who have had a 20 pack year smoking history and who either currently smoke or have quit within the past 15 years and who are within the age group of 50 to 80 should get a low dose CT of the chest. And this should be done annually. Again, sometimes we find things there that need closer monitoring and, and this can be done in six months but okay. but for the most part if everything's clear this should be done annually okay yeah i mean that makes good sense and i think obviously there are some types of cancer that don't have an associated screening mm-hmm. and i think those are the ones that cause particular 
anxiety or fear. But in those instances, you're looking for any changes to symptoms or bodily functions or pain or anything like that. Is that right? Or is there anything else that people need to know or look for in a cancer type that maybe doesn't have a traditional screening? Right. And again, that brings me to the point that we don't have a clear one screening method, like a scan that we can do and that would screen everything. And and that's that's something that's not ideal because of all the risks that come with it. Yeah. So I think it's important to note that, you know, any type of symptom or sign that patients might be concerned about, they should have a conversation with their physician. And every cancer has its own different symptoms, different Mm -hmm. signs, exam findings. And that's why it's important to see your primary care physician, get Mm -hmm. examined, get your annual physical exams, address your concerns with them. If there's anything in particular, talk to them about it and and see if further investigation is needed or not. Yeah, I think that makes a good point too. We're seeing a lot of kind of a different mindset when it comes to primary care, particularly in in our generation of Mm -hmm. the millennial and younger, Mm -hmm. where, you know, our parents and our grandparents, they knew their primary care physician by name. They were very familiar and really dedicated in, in having a relationship with that person. And anymore, the evidence is showing us that people in these younger generations not only don't have often a dedicated primary care physician, but that they don't seek primary care in yeah. general. There's a lot more of of us in the, you know, 30 and under or 40 and under crowd utilizing urgent cares yes. as a primary care because People are just going as a one-off when they are sick and not going in for those annual physicals mm-hmm. or those well checks. And that's uh, another just plug for the importance of getting established early on with a dedicated primary care physician who can get to know you and your history and what's normal for you so that together you can work to identify any changes when you come in for that yearly checkup. Exactly right. So let's now move to some predictions. Over the next 20 years, we may see a big shift in cancer type rankings, and we want your take on those. So currently the most common cancers in the U.S. are breast, lung, prostate, colorectal, and melanoma. We read recently by 2040, melanoma will become the second most common cancer type. Why? That's a good question. So the way they project these numbers are based on studies and incidences and how these are changing over the last several decades and and based on that there there's a, a projection which could be true there's a chance it might not be true but based on those projections they think that the melanoma would come up as one of the most common cancers several decades from now and and that's probably because of one i think there's been more awareness seeing mm-hmm. dermatology primary care physician for any sort of new skin findings and, yeah. and i think we're diagnosing more based on that also there's a factor of uh, climate change mm. more ultraviolet exposure to ultraviolet light okay. and that's also playing a role in that something else we found interesting is that prostate cancer is projected to drop in incidence. I know that may be a controversial finding. What's your take on that? Right. So USPSTF 
initially had recommended against prostate cancer screening because there was no great evidence to support this. And because of that, the screening incidence dropped. And and that's probably why that projection is that it might continue to drop. However, more recently, they've updated this and, and said that there, there should be, again, a communication between the patient and the physician about whether it's important to get the PSA test for screening or not. Mm. So we might see a change in that. I, I think that's what the projection is based on. However, again, we haven't talked about PSA and prostate cancer and, and USPSTF because there's no clear recommendation on that because mm-hmm. of conflicting evidence. Okay. However, it's it's very important, again, to talk to your provider, your physician about your family history, right. about symptoms and, and whether PSA would be the right thing for you. So these projections, just uh, to, to put it in a, a metaphor that the common person may find more easy to understand, they almost sound like what a meteorologist does. So they're looking at models and projections and trends and saying, it might rain on Thursday. Yeah. There's a 40% chance it's going to rain, but it might not. Well, I was even thinking of <laughs> picks at Churchill you know, based on a workout or the lineage of a horse. Yeah. Like you're saying, anything could happen on that stretch. It's certainly an extremely dynamic field. Yeah, it is. Uh, The oncology field. I think maybe even more so than other specialties of medicine, I I feel like cancer is one that we are rapidly learning about. Yes. And one that is... um, there's just so much left to discover. Sure. We're hopeful for a cure, but it's also scary because of the prognosis that you could die from it. Right. And we, at this point, all know somebody who's had a family member or a loved one or a friend who's been impacted by it. And the awareness piece is so critical. And this has been such an interesting and educational conversation. What's the takeaway for listeners? Oh, well, so as I said, the most important thing is to not delay seeking medical attention. You know, we are vaccine patients in our clinics. Patients have been vaccinated. We are vaccinated. Everyone's getting vaccines. So right. the cases are dropping for the COVID infection. So it's it's important to get your age-appropriate cancer screening. It's mm-hmm. important to seek medical attention for any symptoms you might be having. It's important to get your annual physical with your primary care physician. So Absolutely. that would be the biggest takeaway, I would say. And then finally, how can people get in touch with you, Dr. Gill? I am at the Baptist Cancer Center Floyd location. We'll link the information as well as your provider directory in the show notes. Thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely. That was a great conversation with Dr. Gill. It was really, really fun to come back in the studio with such a dynamic guest. I learned a lot from that one. Yeah. uh, We are always dedicated to providing you with information, resources, and screenings that you need to help you manage and lower your risk of developing cancer. While some cancer risk factors such as age, family history, are beyond your control, there are some things you can control. Get in in and make an appointment with your doctor. Yeah. Start and have those difficult conversations. Right. Be aware of the signs and symptoms. 
Yeah. And make those healthy lifestyle changes that we talked about that can really impact your health. It can be as simple as eating a healthy, balanced diet or um, increasing your steps, lowering your alcohol, getting more sleep. Yes. 100%. You don't have to wait until January 1 to make these drastic lifestyle changes. That's right. So you'll want to visit baptisthealth.com backslash cancer. There you can find all of our health risk assessments and links so you can find a provider. Yeah, be sure you're getting screened for cancer regularly based on the recommendations to increase your chances of catching it early while it's still most treatable. And don't hesitate to reach out to your primary care physician to start those conversations. If you don't have a primary care physician, you can visit baptisthealth.com slash provider to find one in your area. Share this episode with a family member or someone that you care about. And we'll see you next time on Health Talks Now. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health, be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.